Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Okay, so we've been doing this series called Living on Purpose, and Sal's been teaching through different parables of the Bible, so I'm going to continue with that today. And I'm going to talk about the lost son, or the prodigal son, and living on purpose close to the father. Most of the time when you hear a sermon on the prodigal son or the lost son, you're mainly talking about forgiveness, which I did at the women's retreat just in March, if any of you were there. And some of this you might go, yeah, I sort of remember some of this. But I want to twist it a little bit. Instead of talking about forgiveness and the amazing forgiveness the son received as he came home to the father, I want to talk about it in relationship to when he was with the father, the blessings that he had and the the provision while he's with the father close to the father compared to living in that distant land what he was experiencing there so I want to call it living on purpose close to the father see when you're close to someone you know what they're thinking you know what they're feeling when you're married to someone you know when he's having a bad day when he's having a good day I know when he's in pain I know what things are going on I can walk into this building and those of you who know me, if I've had a rough week going on, you can come up to me and go, what's going on? Because you know me, you can see it on my face. There are some of you in this room that know me that well, that you're that close to me. And that's the kind of closeness I'm talking about. Not just proximity close, but can I say proximity close brings you to closeness like I want to talk about? And Jesus, in this story, is going to tell us what the Father is like. And what, who better can do that? than someone who actually is part God, with God. It's just too confusing for us to understand. But it says in John chapter uh, 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in close relationship with the Father has made him known. So Jesus in this story is going to reveal to us the heart of the Father. He's going to let us see what God the Father is really like. Not like some of us, we think of our earthly fathers a lot, and we, it's hard to make that separation, and we're the things that were good about our Father, and then sometimes we think, oh, God's just mean like my earthly father was if he was mean. And we take on those kind of things because that's our view of a father. But God is going to say, Jesus today is going to show you what the Father is really like because he is in close relationship with him. He is one with him as God. It's amazing. Okay, so we're going to go to Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost son here, and see what it is to live on purpose close to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that his word, your word today, would be powerful and would really speak to each and every heart. Help us. Holy Spirit, come and reveal something new to us as we've heard this story over and over again. May you speak something new and fresh to our hearts this morning. Amen. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And And then he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went to hire himself out to the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Ooh. Remember, God, Jesus is the perfect person to tell us what the Father is like. And he's relaying in this story this Father as our Heavenly Father. And we are going to be like the Son. Okay, we are his children. And so he says the first thing he says to him, the first thing that he reveals to us about the Father, it says the Son comes to the Father and says, give me my share of the estate now. Wow. That's a, that's a huge thing to say to the father here. Give me my share of the estate. Now, we're going to see the father's amazing, I have props for you because I know you love props, his amazing generosity and his amazing patience with this son. I tell you, I'm so thankful that the father is patient with me. And, he, and he's so generous. And he says to the son, yeah, here, and he splits it up and he does it. I don't know truly what's more shocking in this story. That the son would have the audacity to ask for his part of the inheritance now. Because truly what he's saying is, I wish you were dead so I could have your in- the inheritance that, deserved, that I'm deserved. That's truly what he's saying to the son. So I can't figure out what's more shocking. That this son would actually ask for his inheritance or if the father would genuinely give it to him. That just shocks me too. They're both just, I can't imagine a child doing that. And I cannot imagine a father going, okay. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give it to you. And he gave him his portion. What an amazing father's generous heart we see and the patience that sometimes we go down a path and we do things that, and Jesus is like, the father's like, all right. And he's so patient with us to grow at our own pace. I find myself a lot of times needing the patience of the father. He's probably going like this a ton, dealing with his daughter Rhonda. So we see this, and he takes his property, he takes what the father gives him, and he goes away, it says, to a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living, and after he had spent everything, there was this famine. He takes this abundance that the father had given him, and he separates himself from the closeness of the father, and he goes to a distant land. Whenever we choose to gratify the things that we desire, the things of our flesh, it distances us from the Father. The the distance that takes place, and he goes to a distant land. He distances himself, and sin results. He's living for himself. He's pleasing himself. He's doing what he wants to do in results of sin, and sin brings more distance. And as we keep living over here in this distant land and we keep doing what pleases ourselves and not hearing the heart of the Father, not living in close relationship with him, we begin to find ourselves even more distant and more distant. And we find ourselves separated from what we truly love, the Father. And here we are, totally away from him on the other side, living in distant land, living. You can't be close to the Father 
and living in sin at the same, same time. You have to choose. Am I going to live close or am I going to live distant? You have to choose one or, the, one, one or the other. And in distant land living, can I tell you, this is what happens. Sin starts to become more attractive. It starts to look a little more attractive. Here's this son. He spent everything. He, he now is sitting in a pig pen, feeding the pigs their slop, and it begins to look good to him. If he was over here with his Jewish father, I don't think he'd have anything to do with pigs. I'm not even going to touch pigs. I want but all of a sudden, because he's here in a distant land, the thing that he was disgusting to him, the thing that he would be appalled at, I can't even believe those, over here he'd probably think, those people, what are they thinking, hanging out with those, eating that. But the food that he feeds the pig looks attractive to him because he's over here. Our view of life gets distorted. And the things that we once viewed as safety and protection and those guidelines that God gives us for a good life and to lead us down his right path begin to look like rules and regulations and law. Because how can God do that? And, this, and we begin to hunger and think that the things of this world look more attractive. Distant land living. As we're living over there, those things begin to attract us. Isn't that just what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? There's in the garden, and it says every day they would walk and talk with God. They had this close relation. I can't even imagine. That would be so awesome. Come on. It's in the evening, and God comes out, and you're just walking with him, and you're just sharing. Yeah, yeah, the elephant came up to me today, and you know what? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, the giraffe was just really funny today. And, you know, so you're just, you're just talking with the Father in the garden. And then you see this tree. Hmm. It looks good. It looks desirable. Looks like I can get smarter if I have some of this tree. And that's the one tree that God said, do not eat from this tree. You can have anything else in the whole garden. Live close to me. You can have anything. And they chose, we choose distant living over and over again. I don't know why we choose it. But we do, it's that sin nature in us. And Eve takes the fruit and she gives it to Adam who is with her. And now their sin creates distance and they can no longer be in the garden with the Father, walking and talking with him. Same thing that this young man does. And he begins to crave the things of the distant land instead of living close to the Father. And here he is now. He's back in this pig pen. And he begins to think, his stomach is rumbling. He's got a little bit of hunger pains going on because he, he hasn't had a satisfying meal in a long time. And he thinks, even my father's servants eat better than this. I should go back and become a servant in my father's house. Did God cause those hunger pains? It was a result of his distant land living. But God can use those hunger pains to remind you of what abundance there is living close to the Father. Right? Romans 8 talks about that. 
that, that he will take those hunger pains and draw us back to him. He'll take all things and work them out for good and draw them to him. So you, he's over here having these hunger pains. God didn't cause it. God doesn't do the bad things in this world. God doesn't cause any, but he will take those things and he will use them to draw you back to him. And so the son finds himself heading back and thinking, I want to be a servant there because I'm tired of being. Remember what he was called here? He became a slave in someone's house. You will serve somebody. You're going to be a slave here in your emptiness and your brokenness, or you're going to be a slave over here serving Christ with abundance and his blessings. Blessings. So the son heads home, and we get to verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Whoa, what compassion. But this is more than just compassion here. This is actually really a protective thing that the father is doing here. And I want to tell you why, because there's this ceremony called, and I can't really pronounce the uh, Greek, the Jewish word very well. It's called kazaza, uh, something like that. I'm not even going to try to say it again. I'll just say that great custom, that Jewish custom, sorry. And this custom went like this. True story. That if a Jew left their homeland, left their area with their family and their relatives and said, I want to go live with the Gentiles. If they left their homeland and they went to live with the Gentiles, then when they chose to come home, they're like, ah, I, I just really want to come home. If they tried to come home back to their community, they were not allowed to. The elders of the city would meet them at the gate, and they would, or they would drag them to the gate, and they would put them there, and they would grab a stone jar, and they would bust it to pieces in front of them. And they would say, the way you broke your relationship with us is now it will stay that way. You're not welcome here. And they were, le- they were not allowed to go back and live with their family anymore because the jar had been broken. They had severed that relationship. That was the choice they made. And so the father shows us this amazing protection. And that when he looks every day, because he doesn't want anybody to beat him to his son. Every day I'm longing to see my son come back so that he could grab his gown, which also would be a very humiliating thing for a man of his standing, to pick up his robe and grab it and show his bare legs to run to his son. Because he's got to run there. So he humiliates himself. Does that not sound like our father? He humiliates himself and he runs to protect his father, his son from Kazaza. I will not allow it to happen. And he welcomes him in. That's amazing protection. I tell you, God wants the best for us. He will not allow the jar to be broken. He wants to protect us, and we can mess up and we can screw up, but when we choose to come home to him, he's going to protect us. He's going to be there for us. He's going to have such amazing compassion. He wraps his arms around us, and he just loves us so much. Ooh, I love that part of the Father. And then the son says to him, you know, well, I don't even deserve to be here. I just want to be your servant. And the son, I love this. The father's like, seriously? Not on my watch. Not, not on my watch. And so, so he says to him, what's the first thing? He says, give him the best robe. Give him the best robe. Okay, so the best robe is going to show that his position in the family is now, see, we have position when we are with Christ. 
We are close to the Father. This is a robe that when I went to Africa uh, several years ago with our interns, the women that we had been, we'd been providing a lot for. We had sent and did sewing machines, and most, some of you remember, we, we bought them a grinding mill. And, and they just, the, when I showed up, it was like, I felt like a queen in the land. It was like, it was humbling. And they just like, oh my. And so they made me this amazing, it's two parts, it's got more to it. But what this was, was to show my position in their hearts. They were like, we honor you as Mama Umchumgadi, which means Pastor Mama. <laughs> and so they gave me this robe to show my position. And so here's the father giving a robe to his son, saying, your position with me, that's what you have. Everything that, that is mine is now yours because you are my son. You are my daughter. You have that position in the family. When kings wore special robes to show who they were, the priest, God told Moses, make special robes for, to set Aaron apart so that you know he's a priest. And think about when Elijah is taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot and his mantle falls, his robe falls, and Elisha picks it up, and now he has that mantle. You knew he is now the man of God for the hour. Because he's wearing that. And it says when Jesus died for us, he gave us a robe to wrap around us. His robe of righteousness, his robe of salvation, that now we are right standing before God. And every time the father looks at us, he goes, that's my daughter. That's my son. You have position with me. We got we to gotta realize over here, we are close to the father. He's given us that position in his house. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that position. It's amazing what he's done for us. And it's an amazing picture of how much he loves us, too, because he takes that robe, think about this, and he wraps it around us, even in the midst of all our sin and yuck from just being in the pig's die. And it covers it all up. No, no longer does he see who we used to be. He only sees his son's robe. He only sees, you're my daughter. You're my son. I love you. Ooh, close to the father is amazing. It's amazing. And then, and then we say, oh, he brings, says, put the ring on his finger. Got a big, huge ring for you. Put the ring on his finger. When Joseph was uh, as second in command of Pharaoh, Pharaoh gave him a ring. And with that ring, he, all the authority of the Pharaoh was with him. Whatever he said, it was like Pharaoh said it behind him. It was like this, whatever he said. And the father here is saying, take your ring, because all the power on heaven and earth has been given to you. All authority, Jesus said to his disciples, everything that I have is yours. Take it and use it. Peter, walking down the street one day, sees a man who's crippled, and he says, oh, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He used the power that had been given him and healed the man who was crippled. Ooh, so good. Peter walking along, and there's a demon-possessed girl following behind him, prophesying demonic things, and he's like, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the evil spirit left her. That's the kind of power we have by following in Christ and being close to him. He says, I have given you all authority. Everything that belongs to me is now yours. Whoa, do you realize that? That is amazing power. And he says, that's what I have when you're close to me, that you have power, close to me. 
And then he says, go get the shoe. I brought my Air Jordans today. Makes me look impressive, like I really play basketball. (laughs) I used to. (laughs) But the thing about it is that I wanted to bring this shoe because when you look at this shoe, you, you automatically think, oh, it's for basketball. It has a purpose. And when you put on God's shoe, you have a purpose. I wear these shoes when I play basketball, protect my ankles, and it gives me good traction. And the father's saying, get the shoes on his feet. He's got to be about my purpose now. He's got to be doing what I've called him to do now. That we're supposed to walk the way he wants us to walk. Talk the way he wants us to talk. In Ephesians, at the end of the chapter, at the end of the book of Ephesians, it talks about putting on the full armor of God. And it says our feet are to be shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're to be about sharing the gospel of peace to people. Sharing the good news of what Jesus did for you and I. He put that robe on me and he covered all my sin. And we're here to tell everybody about it. That's our primary purpose. To do that, he gives you purpose by putting those shoes on your feet where to walk like Jesus walked, talk like Jesus walked, go where he would go, do what he would have us to do. He's got purpose for us when we're close to him, following him. Can I tell you that um, the closer you walk with the Lord, he will reveal more and more. I mean, we have that overall purpose. We're supposed to share what the good news to other people. But with the way I do that differs from the way you do that. I do it like this. I know I've been called to be a pastor. Sal, been called to be a pastor. Kent's been called to be a teacher. So he would put on these shoes and he would teach with the gospel, sharing the good news in the classroom and sharing the good news here. He serves in Awana as well with children. You take that purpose that you know God had for you and you begin to use it for the kingdom. And I can't tell you person after person after person who comes to me and says, well, I don't don't even know what my purpose is yet. I haven't figured it out. If you've been saved five, I'm going to give you 10, but really it should be five. If you've been saved like five years and you don't know your purpose, shame on you. Because you know what that tells me? You haven't been walking out your first purpose of telling others about Jesus. And you haven't been close to the Father. Because when I'm close to the Father, there was a woman who spoke at the conference. We just went to a pastor's conference this week. And she got saved, I think she said 20, I don't remember. It's like right out of high, before college age, 20, 21 years old. She got saved. And right away she went into the church, and what do you think she did? Started serving. She got busy. She started doing whatever there was to do, she did. She's, and they said to her, wow, you're just, what, will you come and help out our uh, junior high um, pastor? Will you come help him? Sure, she did. She showed up, and she started serving in the junior high ministry, serving and serving and serving. And pretty soon, that pastor stepped down, and they said, well, would you take the, and be a pastor of our junior high youth? Of course I will. So she began to do that and do that. Pretty soon you find her, she goes from like, I don't know, just like an associate pastor to the executive pastor, and now she's planted her own church in Montana. She's senior pastoring her, a church in Montana at 20, 25 years old. And you go, oh, my goodness. But what did she do? She was close to the father, and she got busy serving. She got busy serving. If you haven't figured out your purpose, that tells me you're just doing nothing. Ouch. Can I say it that way? 
You're, you're complacent in not, and not getting involved in knowing what does God have for me. Get busy doing something. I don't care what it is, but do something. Man, we need help all the time. But God has called each and every one of us, and he says, I got these shoes for you, and I want you to put them on, and I want you to go about the business that I have for you. And then I think my favorite of all is he says, let's have a party. <laughs> come on. Come on. Wonder Woman. We got some candy for you. Don't turn your back on me. I got some candy for everybody. Here. Here, can't hand out some candy. Because church should be fun, right? It's a party. If there's one thing that sort of bugs me is that we think God is boring. And that we think that serving God is going to be boring. And that we think having a life uh, <laughs> that we're missing out on something. And it's going to be boring. I think Jesus puts on the best parties ever. He's like, he makes, well, we know he made the best wine you could ever taste. All right? All right? Oh, side note. There was this couple. I, do I have time? Yeah, I have time for a side note. There was this couple at the conference, and I was talking to them at one point in the foyer, and they were talking about uh, alcohol, and they prefer their kids not to drink, and now their daughter is out of high school, and she just had, had her, got 21 and was going to go to a party, and they're like, well, be careful, blah, 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 whatever, you know. Well, I probably wouldn't let my kid go. But anyway, so, so she goes and she calls him up at the party. She calls them from the party. I think I'm allergic to alcohol. They're like, maybe. <laughs> and she says, I'm getting lightheaded and dizzy. And I just, I think I'm allergic to alcohol. And they're like, she's drunk. Yes, you are allergic to alcohol. You're so allergic. Don't drink it ever again. You're allergic to it. And I thought, that is awesome. If we could convince our kids that, that, that whatever you feel when you're drunk is allergic to it, that'd be awesome. Side note, totally. Anyway, God's parties are amazing. Yes. That God is fun. I mean, I can't even imagine when Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can you imagine being with Jesus the day he says, Oh, here, here's all, all you have is two fish and some loaves of bread. That's okay. Come on. And you're like going, oh, this is amazing. You're feeding thousands of people. That would be fun. Yes, the, the day you're sitting in a boat and you see Jesus walking up. <laughs> that would be fun. Especially then he says, come on out and walk with me. That would be fun. I'm like, okay, I'm walking on water with you. I mean, God is fun. He wants us to have joy in serving him. Think about the day Jesus is on the mountain and he's praying and he's got disciples with him. And all of a sudden it says his face begins to shine like the sun. I mean, really, picture this. And his clothes become as bright as noonday, it says. And then that would be enough except then Moses and Elijah show up. Weren't they dead a long time ago, God? He's showing you people who's, that's fun. God wants us to realize that living over here close to him is way more fun than over in distant land living. In distant land living, you will find emptiness, empty happiness. You'll find loss, loneliness, lies of what's really good. 
you'll become a slave to your sin. But living close to the Father, we'll find generosity and patience and compassion and protection and position and power and purpose and party and a belonging like you've never felt before to a family and peace and love and true joy. True joy. Living close to the Father. I, I want us to draw close to him this morning like you never have before. We have time. And all it takes is to quiet your heart before the Lord. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.